I have chosen a complex title for my message this morning. Um, three letters, starting with G. But it covers a huge range of possibilities with God. Late last year, I, I preached a message uh, called I Am, which talks about how the people of God, the, the Israelites, came to have God's character revealed to them and how they reacted to that, that uh, understanding that they had with God. And so this morning, I, I want to delve into a, the same story, but in, in a different sort of way, actually looking at the characteristics and the attributes of God and how, how, the, how the Old Testament authors actually saw God's character and how they actually they did really naughty things to, to God. Um, they, they did things like they took some of God's attributes and they actually turned them into people. And we'll be talking about how and, and why they did that. They, they introduced us to something which uh, even today we, we struggle with. Uh, and, and that's the whole idea. Anybody ever heard of the Trinity? That's this really strange idea that God is one person, but he's three people. And I don't know about you, but would you agree with me when I say that one of the most important things for us as Christians is to be able to explain to people who God is? Is that a fair statement? And so when we come to explain the word God to people, who knows that God can be one of the most misleading terms we ever use? In fact, sometimes we should, I think we should ban the word because God can mean so many things to so many different people that when we talk about God often, you know, we don't know whether their mind has wandered to the, this impersonal force that rules the universe because uh, they watch a lot of um, Star Wars. Um, we don't know whether as soon as you mention God, they think midichlorians. I mean, who knows what people think? Some people are thinking of other gods. Some people are thinking of themselves, you know, God is in us, we are gods in our own right. There's all sorts of strange things that come to mind. And so it's, it's a good idea if you're having a conversation with someone about God to mention Jesus early in the conversation because that clears the air uh, really well because Jesus is the God that we worship. He is the, the Messiah who came, died, was crucified on a cross, rose again and rules with the Father in heaven and the Holy Spirit, so God is three people. And so even mentioning Jesus can get us into trouble because suddenly people will say, well, what's this, what's this three people business? I thought you only worshipped one God. And you go, yes, yes, we do, all three of him. Um, and it, it's an important thing to do. I believe the, the whole idea of God as a trinity is, is one of the, the key aspects of the character and attributes of God that, that put him above all any other ideas of God. I mean, because who in their right mind would invent a God with this one person that's three people that we can't explain? I mean, you can tell that the God of the Bible is not a human invention um, because we humans aren't quite that clever. Um, and so we get to this point where the biblical authors talk about God in lots of different ways that just mess with our minds, but they also do it for a reason. Because... The more, we know, the more we understand that God is a complex God, not a, not a simple God, the more we can actually access God in his different parts. And the fact that they have the, the Old Testament authors teach us to separate bits of God, and I'll talk about how they do this in a moment, 
but enables us to access God on a personal level in the ways that we need him. I mean, for instance, who, who needs a word from God right now? Who, who needs the wisdom of God right now? Who would like the peace of God? See, we talk about those things, and we know we're talking about God, but the Old Testament authors actually took these attributes of God and made separate individuals out of them, and we'll talk about how they did that. Um, and they did that for a reason, to enable us to get closer to God. And I'm going to leave time at the, the end of the service. We're going to have a, a time of, of worship where I'm going to invite people just to come out. And because of, you know, who knows that knowledge is great, but unless we put it into action, unless it actually results in our relationship with Jesus becoming stronger, it's just head knowledge. And there's nothing wrong with that. I like a bit of head knowledge here and there. Um, but we need to translate that into action. So the first thing I want to help you with is this idea, if we're going to explain to people that we only worship one God, all three of him, um, it's a good, good idea to have an explanation of that. And I'm not going to attempt it because I'd stuff it up. But the guys at the Bible Project have actually done it really well. And so I want you just to look at this short clip where they explain a concept that we can use on how God can be three people and yet one God. So I've got a question that's always bothered me. The Bible says there's one God, but in other parts of the Bible, God is three, Father, Son, and Spirit. How can it be both? Yeah, this is a question that has mystified people for thousands of years. And while we can't fully explain it, I think we can better understand what it is that we can't fully understand. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, think of it this way. Here's a two-dimensional plane. And then here's an object with three dimensions that's going to pass through the 2D plane. Okay, right. From this perspective, the 3D object's above and below the plane. So now it makes sense, but imagine you were a 2D person stuck on the 2D plane. What would you see? I don't know. What would I see? Well, it would look like this. Oh, yeah, okay. From this perspective, it looks impossible. It's one object, and then, then two objects, and then three. But in reality, they're all one, just not in a way you're capable of understanding. Now, let's take this whole thing as a visual analogy for how we experience God. The claim in the Bible is that God is transcendent, a divine being through whom we live and move and have our being. Or, as God says, I am. Okay, but I live here in this universe, so when God appears, it will make sense in some ways, but in other ways, it will break my categories. Exactly. This happens all the time when people encounter the God of the Bible. Right. Now, did that help anybody? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Perhaps I should have explained it myself. <laughs> Does it give anybody a vehicle for possibly explaining to non-believers? how that concept works because if it does that, that video is actually available in its entirety I actually only stole a little bit of it for that that uh, illustration on the Bible Project website so I encourage you actually give it a look okay so throughout the Hebrew scriptures we, we find that the authors talk about God in really complicated ways that mess with our concept of who God is. Now, the, the whole idea of the Trinity uh, actually starts very early in the Bible, possibly the second sentence of the Bible, talks about the Spirit of God. Um, but there are other things uh, and other places where the authors take the attributes of God and they, they personalise them 
in such a way that makes them sound quite separate from God. Uh, who, who would agree that God is wise? So therefore God has wisdom and he uses that wisdom. We know he uses that wisdom. It says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19, by wisdom, the Lord founded the earth. By understanding, he created the heavens. But if we look further on in, in Proverbs, uh, there's actually a few poems that describe God's wisdom as a person, a co-worker through whom God reworked the universe. Proverbs 8.12 says it in the first person, I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. There's another person. Uh, I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. And so there's, there's this whole concept that God's attributes can be separate from God, but also part of God. After all, it's God's wisdom. But it actually helps us if, if we need something from God, if we can actually focus on what it is we need, we can find it helpful. And the biblical authors use this to our advantage. Even things like God's glory. I mean, we talk about God's glory falling and we talk about being in the presence of God and feeling his glory. But the Bible talks about glory as a person in some passages of the Bible. In Ezekiel chapter 1, 28, all around him was a glowing halo, like a rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. And so we've got this, this person who is the glory of the Lord, who's come and, and, and Ezekiel can actually see this person. You sort of think, well, come on, that wasn't a real person, surely. No, but it's a way of embodying the attributes of God in a way that help us connect with God even better. So God's wisdom becomes a separate character to God himself. And God's glory becomes a person who represents God, but in some ways isn't God but then it's still God's glory, so it gets confusing. God's word. God's word can take the form of a person. God's word can be separate from God. Even such that it, uh, there are many times in the, in the Bible where instead of saying God spoke, they talk about the voice, not the TV program. The, the, there's actually just a, a disembodied voice in uh, Two Kings, is it? Genesis, no. No. 1 Kings, chapter 19, verse 13. It says, When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, they could have said, Well, God spoke to Elijah and said. But to help us and to help the Old Testament readers, don't forget that the people who first read this hadn't read the New Testament. Uh, it wasn't in print yet. They'd put it, got it on back order, but... You know, it just wasn't available. And so the, the authors of the, of the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament are searching for ways to connect people to their heavenly father. Uh, they've got this concept that, they only, and, and it's a strong concept that you're only allowed to worship one God. I mean, the Ten Commandments cover that very clearly. And yet the biblical authors throughout the Old Testament have taken bits of God and personified them, made them separate so that the readers of the Old Testament, the readers who are living uh, as, as the Israelites lived in, the, in that time, can actually grab hold and grasp what they need from God in a, in a more personal um, sense. And, and we sort of think, well, what, do we really need that? Don't forget, they didn't have the relationship with Jesus that we have because their Messiah had not yet come, whereas ours has.
And so there's all, all of these different things that God's attributes have become personalized so that we can actually get direct access depending on our needs, our state of mind, our, our desires, our connection with God at the time can be altered and shifted if we come to a realisation about the specific attributes of God that we, we, we may need at any particular time. And so, of course, there's, there's this whole thing about God's spirit. That's the other thing. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. What was the earth like? Bit of a formless void, but hovering over the waters was the spirit of God. Now you sort of think, well, how often does the Spirit of God get mentioned in the Bible as a, a separate person? Uh, I don't know, um, but it, it, it's quite a few. But it refers to God's personal presence and energy that we can interact with here within creation. And so the Bible refers to God's Spirit as distinct from God, but also God. And this is repeated over and over throughout the Bible. So... The Spirit of God is distinct from God, and yet it's God's Spirit. And so it confuses us, but it also allows us to focus on what we need from God at the time. And so it, it actually adds to our idea of the complexity of God. And this, I think, is an antidote for our tendency, because who likes things simple? Just me? Because... Uh, my whole goal in life is to simplify my life. I don't want complicated. I don't want too many things to do. And yet, we have to avoid putting God into that box and simplifying God in our life because we reduce God to our level of understanding. And while you know, we spend times like today trying to get a handle on some of the aspects of God so that we can understand him better, our prime focus is not to understand God but to have a relationship with him. And who knows, I've been married 40 years, and let me tell you, you don't have to understand somebody to have a good relationship with them. <laughs> Vicky would take the opposite approach and said that she understood me from probably the day one, and uh, I've never been a mystery since. Um, but we've got to have a, understand that the complexity of God is actually to our advantage. And so one of the other, and in fact probably the most mysterious and interesting part of God or God's attributes, uh, now especially don't forget, sit there and you've got to put your Old Testament glasses on. Pretend you have never heard of the New Testament. You don't know who Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are. And, but that you're, you know this guy called Daniel. And you're in exile with Daniel because... Babylonians have come and, and dragged you out of your, your city and you're living in a strange country amongst a strange people. And Daniel comes to you and tells you he, he's had a vision. Because don't forget, you are a worshipper of the one God, Yahweh, the one and only Yahweh. He is the Elo, Yahweh Elohim, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. There is no one but Yahweh. And Daniel comes and in Chapter 7, verse 13, he says, As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, the term son of man in the Bible basically means a member of humanity. And it says, He approached the ancient one 
and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Now, don't forget, you're wearing your Old Testament glasses. What do you think when Daniel tells you this? Burn him. It's heretical. Here you are, a worshipper of Yahweh, the one true God. Daniel has a vision that says a human being is going to ascend to the right hand of God and rule and reign with him and his kingdom will be eternal. You're thinking, whoa, Daniel, you have serious problems, mate. This is just not going to go down well. And yet, if we take our Old Testament glasses off, we know that this is a, a, predict, this is a prophecy about what is to come. This is, this is actually the, a, a foretaste of the culmination of the whole story of the Bible where the, the plan of God is for God and mankind to co-rule the heavens and the earth together. In the book of Revelation, it talks about how you know, the kingdom of heaven comes down to earth and God and his church rule the, a renewed earth. And so this is a foretaste of that. But in that time... This whole idea of humanity being involved in rulership with God was heretical. And yet for us, I think it is the ultimate confirmation of what Jesus has done for us. The fact that, that this human sits at God's right hand and that all humanity worships this human alongside God because this human is part of God's identity. And so... The Son of Man is distinct from God, but also God. Now, we know his name, but we can't mention it, because remember, we're, we're Old Testament here. We haven't got to the part where he's revealed. But this is actually important, because if we look at how the authors of the Hebrew Scriptures address the issue of God's complex identity, we can see that God's attributes, God's Spirit, and the Son of Man are all facets of that identity that help us to relate to God without oversimplifying God's identity. And why was this important? Because when Jesus did... Oh, I mentioned his name. Spoiler alert. When Jesus did come as the Messiah, and the, the first followers of Jesus were introduced to him as Father, Son and Spirit, they didn't freak out. Why didn't they freak out? Because they had already been exposed to the fact that God's identity was complex, that God's identity could be explained as, as, as separate personalities, if you like, of God, that they already had a framework in which to put a Messiah who came as God, but as God the Son, as part of a trinity, as part of, of three. And so... The complexity that we face with God is actually a blessing in our favour because it enables us to relate to God in a way that we need at that time. Jesus' coming has actually made, well, he said he's made a way for us to connect with God. So I want, I want us to have an opportunity to actually turn head knowledge, if you like, that I've talked about this morning into, into an encounter with God this morning. So can I, can I ask the worship team if, if they'll come up? But I want us to, to, to sing that last song which is called Nothing Else. And I want us to take the time to think about 
what it is that we need from God. I mean, I only talked about three aspects of God's attributes. You know, we, we can talk about anything we need, hope, faith. These are all attributes of God, ever-loving, all-forgiving, wise, caring, loving. Whatever it is you need about, from God's character and his attributes this morning, I want you to focus on that as we, as we sing this morning. We're going to stand in a moment and, and sing that. And, if, and I want to invite you if, you, if you need something from God this morning, if you've got a specific desire, if it's one of God's attributes that you need in your life right now, I want to encourage you just to come out on the altar and worship. Uh, I won't pray for you, uh, but it's, it's a step of faith for God to see that you, you really want this from God. But before we do that, we need to know that we, we are connected with God. You know, God's personality, God's complex nature, He reveals only to those who accept Him as their Lord and Saviour. His desire is for His complex nature to be known to every single person on this planet. He, what, his desire is that we would all know Him, that we would all have a relationship with Him. But He doesn't force that on anybody. That's one of His attributes. He issues an invitation. And, and the, the Bible talks about this a lot. That he invites everybody. But we have to answer that invitation. And we do that by praying. A prayer of release that says, okay, God, I'm going to bring down the walls, the barriers, and I'm going to let you into my life. And it's just a short prayer that starts us on a, a journey of relationship. It's not a magic bullet. If you've started a relationship at all, whether it be just a friend or whether it be spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is, you realise that the first introduction is always a bit awkward. You don't get to know people immediately. You actually have to walk a journey together. And it's the same with God. But we've got to take that first step and introduce ourselves. And I'd love to help you do that if you've never done that before this morning. Just to pray a quick prayer to say, God, I invite you into my life. Or if you're here this morning and you may have done that before, but you know that God is far from you. God would love to restart that relationship. And so can I just get you all to close your eyes so that nobody's looking around. And if that's you this morning, you've never asked Jesus to come into your life or you know that you need to issue that invitation again because he's far from you. Can you just raise your hand while no one's looking around so that I just know who I'm praying for and we'll pray a prayer as a church to invite Jesus into our lives. Is there anyone at all who needs to do that this morning? Awesome. Can you open your eyes and stand with me? I want you to take to heart the words of this song. We need to put aside whatever else is in the world and focus on Jesus. But he gives us the freedom to focus on what we need. I mean, you, if you need a word from God this morning, you need to come to the altar and start believing and praying that, that you're going to hear from God. It might just be the voice that you're after. If you're, if you're struggling with decisions and you need God's wisdom, you can actually come and ask God's wisdom for advice. You may need healing. 
God is the healer. The healer is here on this altar this morning. Just come and soak and pray and ask to God for that healing. I don't know what it is. It may be something I haven't mentioned. But God is here. That aspect of God is here. His voice, His glory, His wisdom, His face, His healing hands. So as we sing, if that's you this morning, I just encourage you to step out of your seat and move up onto this altar and start to worship Him. Come on. Let's lift our hands in worship this morning. Lord, I pray that Your presence covers, fills and enfolds every single person here this morning in the way they need You. I thank You, Lord, that You are the bringer of hope. That You bring love, compassion, power into our lives. Lord, we give you thanks that you bring your face, not just your hands into our lives, that we see you, the person of you, as we pray, as we praise and as we worship. We thank you that you are here just as we are, wherever we're at, whatever our needs, whatever our desires, you pour your spirit upon us. Change us, transform us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.